0: Come on, give God a good hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. If you know he met you in worship, give him a shout of praise this morning. Come on. I know that God inhabits the praises of his people and I'm excited to worship with you guys and excited for what God has in store for us this morning. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter number uh, two this morning, the Gospel of Mark chapter number two is where we're going to kick off this morning's sermon and the title of this morning's sermon is, I Need a Ride. How many of y'all have ever needed a ride before in your life? (laughs) You've been stuck somewhere, you didn't want to be, you didn't have the means of transportation to get to where you needed to be and you needed a ride or you needed, a lift we're in a series right now called lift and we um use this as an illustration of what god wants to do in your life how he lifted people all throughout the the bible and lift what is lift lift is a ride share company where um, people who are in a place they don't need to be but don't have the means of transportation to get to literally need a lift and it's a ride share company where you can on an app order a car or you can find where a bicycle is or a scooter is and it's now worth fifteen point one billion dollars and how many of you know I need a lift (laughs) somebody's need with somebody else's means and what if your breakthrough is as simple as sharing a bicycle what if your next breakthrough is as simple as the scooter that's in your garage What if your breakthrough is literally sitting right here in this building? You just didn't know it. Every one of us in this room need a lift. And lift was created because of that. People were in a place they no longer needed to be. But they didn't have a means of transportation to get to where they should be. So they needed a lift. Some of you came in this morning and you need a lift. Your marriage isn't where it should be, but you don't have the means of transportation to get to where you want it to be. Your marriage needs a lift. Some of you in your business, your business isn't where it should be, but you don't have the skills, knowledge, abilities, talents to get it to where you want it to be. Your business needs a lift. Some of you are sitting here this morning say, I just wish I knew how to get a lift, <laughs> right? This morning, I can, I can guarantee you God is going to show up in your life and do something amazing and transform you if you'll understand He already has your lift taken, taken care of. The reality of most of our lives is we're always in a place that we no longer should be, but we don't know how we're going to get to where we need to be, and we feel stuck. We feel stuck in certain areas of life, whether it be your marriage, whether it be raising them amazing, wonderful little world changers that aren't quite amazing, wonderful little world changers just yet, You're in the middle of something, you feel stuck, I don't know what I'm going to do, I don't know how to see them transform, I don't know how to get them to where they should be. Some of you just feel stuck in your life, and I want to just for a moment give a shout out to everyone who, over the past three or four months, has been a first time guest here at TWBC, a first time that you walked in these doors, because you are the bravest people that I've ever met. I'll tell you a short story real quick. Me and my wife and my kids were on the way home from vacation in the month of July, and we were driving back, and we were coming back through the the roads of Missouri, and we were coming on down to Texas. We were going to make it home, and we were excited about coming home, and we were driving home on a Sunday morning. And I had the bright idea of, wow, we would pass little church after little church after little church, and we'd see 20 cars in a parking lot, 10 cars in a parking lot, 15 cars in a parking lot. And I said, honey, let's just pull off the road and go to one of these churches that we have passed by. And immediately, I felt the spirit of anxiety just flood the car. Like, oh, What? And my kids who had their headphones on, watching their iPads, watching whatever movie they were doing, somehow they never hear anything. They just heard everything. And my oldest one pulled his headphones off and he said, dad, are you serious? And I'm like, Caleb, of course I'm serious. Your daddy's always crazy, right? And he's like, but dad, I'm not dressed right. And I got a ball cap on. And my wife said, but honey, You're wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And I definitely don't have my hair fixed the way I need to to go into church. And I realized in that moment how scary it is to walk into a church building all by yourself where you don't know anybody to walk into a place that is unfamiliar. And if my wife and I who pastor a church and we had over 1,300 at Easter are scared to pull over in the truck and walk into a little country church that we'll never probably go to again. But there was this great fear of how we would be perceived because I was wearing a t-shirt and shorts and I really didn't care. I was going to go in and sit on the back row and enjoy church because I had no responsibilities, right? And if there was that apprehension on the inside of our vehicle, what is it about that would draw somebody to a place where there's not 30 people but over 300 in all of our services that we have (laughs) that they walk in alone and they're scared literally to open the car door when they pull in the parking lot I realized something very startling in that moment that the local church the church we pastor will never grow through social media we may get followers we may get likes we may get other stuff We'll never grow through social media. We'll never grow through a television broadcast. We'll never grow through um, all the billboard ads and the things we send out through the mail and the flyers. The way we're going to grow as a church is simply this, Ashley. It's when we take the personal responsibility to invite somebody to come sit with us and don't wait for them in the auditorium, but wait for them in the parking lot so they don't have to walk in by themselves. I'm telling you, as we're opening up a third service on October 6th, it's as easy as bringing your friends, your coworkers, and those who you do life with, your hobbies. But don't make them walk in the building alone. Meet them at the convenience store on the corner and say, we'll ride together. Or better yet, you are somebody's lift that they need to get to the church that you know that they're called to be at. And what I mean by that is this. Pastor Joel rolled to church this morning. And in my truck was myself and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and that's it. (laughs) I had a passenger seat that was empty. I had a back seat that holds three people that was empty. But I rolled into this parking lot with me, myself, and I. And I had room for four other people in my life that needed a lift. As we go to three services on October the 6th, I want to challenge you. It's as easy as your work, your friends and your family, and your hobbies. And I want to ask you, because this is leading into the message, will you open your eyes to those around you who need a lift to the God that's in front of you? Will you open your eyes to those around you who need a lift to the God that's sitting literally right in front of you this morning? The Heavenly Father is here and His power is present to transform every single life. Don't send Him an invite through Facebook, don't send Him a text message, don't walk up to Him and say, Hey, want to go to church? Would you open your eyes and see who your neighbor really is? See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had trouble with this. In the account of Scripture where the good Samaritan found a hurt man injured on the side of the road and a Pharisee walked by and a lawmaker or Sadducee walked by and then a Samaritan, a rejected person by Israel walked by and picked him up and put it on his own donkey and gave him a lift to the place where he could get ministry. I'm not asking you to invite everybody you know, but I'm asking you to open your eyes to see who your neighbor really is. Because it's probably not the person in the house next to you, but it's in the person in the cubicle across from you that comes to work every day hurting, lost, broke, and feeling like their life is full of dysfunction and they never have a place to belong. I'm challenging you over the next two Sundays who are you gonna give a lift to? Who are you gonna carry at your own expense before the Father and see what He has for you? As we roll into Mark chapter number two, this sets up the exact sto- the, the account of scripture that Jesus is talking about. In the Gospel of Mark chapter number two, verses one through five is where we're gonna start this morning. When you found Mark chapter number two, everybody say, I'm there. Everybody say, I need a lift. Everybody say, I've been real quiet this morning come on man we love it we're having fun at church as we jump into the gospel of mark i never like to do this i never like to assume that everybody knows what we're talking about right because a lot of you don't know what we're talking about a lot of you are doing really good just to get to church on sunday morning and we celebrate that but we don't have a daily quiet time or a daily prayer time so many times a pastor gets up here and says well you know the story and just jumps right into it when nobody really knows the story So I want to talk to you this morning very briefly about an account of scripture in the gospel of Mark. And simply the gospel of Mark means this. The gospel of Mark means the person who wrote the gospel according to Mark. So Mark wrote the gospel according to Mark. It was his vantage point. It was his viewpoint. Matthew wrote the gospel according to Matthew. Luke wrote the gospel according to Luke. John wrote the gospel according to John. It was their perspective. God was working in their life they were writing to certain demographics of people so such as when you read the gospel of, uh, of Matthew you've got a genealogy that starts um, with, with Abraham and goes all the way to Jesus Because Matthew was writing to the Jewish people. He was talking about an expanding kingdom. The Jewish nation started with Abraham. He is the father of their faith. He's the father of faith, the Bible says. He had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the writer of Matthew wrote according to that genealogy because he was writing to the Jews. The writer of Luke wrote it differently, but it's the same. It's a synoptic gospel, a similar gospel to Matthew. But his genealogy starts with Jesus and goes all the way back, all the way to Adam, the son of God, because he was writing to a cultured, educated, educated group of people. He was writing to the Greek people. And the Greek people, as you know, you have Greek mythology, you have the God men. And so Luke, in his writing, was very educated. And so he was writing to convince them that Jesus really is the son of God Almighty himself and so then you have the writer of the gospel of john and he writes the real genealogy in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and the word became flesh jesus christ and dwelt among us and you have seen his great light but the darkness has not understood it the light that shines in the darkness come on somebody and so john writes the gospel that is prevalent to the whole worldview. Mark, in his writing of his gospel, Mark is the gospel of miracles and the gospel of power. Mark didn't put a genealogy in his gospel. Mark chapter 1 starts with John the Baptist. There's a man coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, is how Mark starts out. Mark says, I'm not worried about giving you a backstory because Mark was writing to the Romans. The Romans in that time were 70% a slave nation. And so if you are a slave and you have no genealogy, you're not concerned about somebody else's genealogy. You're concerned about the power that this person possesses to get you out of the bondage that's holding you captive. Some of you aren't concerned about all the theology and all the things that go along with the gospel. You're concerned that I need a gospel of power that will get me out of my captivity and bring me into a place of authority where God can move in my circumstance and transform my life. And so today I'm going to tell you about the guy who wrote the gospel of Mark. And he wrote about a Jesus who is coming in power and authority to release you from your captivity. So you can walk in the promises of God and in the life that he has for you. So as Mark is writing, he starts out with the baptism of Jesus. He comes up out of the water. The spirit of God descends on Jesus. And the Bible says the heavens opened up and God spoke and said, this is my son Whom I love and I am well pleased with. Immediately after that, according to the gospel of Matthew, he was tempted for 40 days, and then he went out and started doing miracles and changing the world. That's where we're going to pick up in the gospel of Mark, chapter number 2, verse number 1. And the Bible says this, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Everybody say home. I was raised my whole life being told Jesus didn't have a home. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Oh, poor Jesus. He never had a home because His home is always with the Father in heaven. I'm telling you, just go read the Bible for yourself. Right here it says Capernaum, which is the where, yeah, where his ministry headquarter was. He did two-thirds of his ministry in Capernaum. This was a place where it says, and they brought him to a house where Jesus was at, and they called it his home. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to debunk your whole theology, but I am telling you it's refreshing when you can open up the Scriptures and really read it. Yeah. With the power of the Holy Spirit to enlighten you on things. And he'll bring to mind things that may help you grow in your walk with Jesus and it says it was reported that he was at home, everybody say home and many were gathered there together so that there was no more room, not even at the door and he, Jesus, was preaching the word to them, now I love that verse the word of God which is Jesus Christ in the flesh, the word of God was preaching the word of God to them Jesus Christ was preaching about himself to them Although their eyes of understanding the Bible says and their heart of understanding and their ears of understanding were not open so they couldn't fully receive all that he was but Jesus was preaching about himself to them. Now that is not conceited, that is not arrogant, that is walking in authority because he knew who he was because he knew who his father was and so he knew of the anointing on his life that would change their life. You can walk in such a relationship with the father that you can be confident of who you are in Christ. And the world doesn't need conceited Christians. They need Christians who are conditioned to the will of the Father and consecrated to Him, not conceited about Him. Because consecrated to me, Him means I'm set apart and I'm sanctified or put in a place of position of submission to the Father where I'm willing to do whatever He tells me to do. And if He tells me to do it, He's going to endow me with the authority power to walk it out. So I'm consecrated to him, not conceited about him. And so it says, and he was preaching the word to them. Jesus preached the word to us this morning. Uh And I'm praying you get something so great that that you forget everything I say and you remember what he said. Those are the best sermons I ever preach. When you don't remember what I say but God spoke to you. And you walk out of here and your life is changed and you don't remember a word I say. Those are the best sermons I ever preach because Jesus is preaching the word. So Jesus, come and preach the word to us. And they came, bringing him a paralytic, carried by four men. Everybody say four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him. Now, these men are braver than I am. This men knew who they were bringing this paralytic man to. And they decided, because this was Jesus' home, I'm just going to rip the house, I'm going to rip the roof off the house of the Son of God. Okay, y'all may be braver than me. And maybe it's just the religious side of me that says, I can't rip the roof off Jesus' home. He's Jesus, right? Right. I can guarantee you Jesus is a lot more concerned about the paralytic on the mat than the roof that was above his head. Jesus is a lot more concerned about the paralyzed position that you're in rather than the principles and the theology and the philosophy that would come out in my preaching. So he's not concerned of how pretty my preaching is. He concerns us about the, par- the position of your paralyzed state. And in that, if you are more concerned about my pretty preaching and want it to sound a certain way, you're going to miss getting out of your paralyzed position because you're worried about a roof that Jesus doesn't care about. And this morning, my heart is this, that you would remove the roof of religiosity that is hovering above your head so you can see the promise of the Savior that can fix your paralyzed problem this morning. Okay, I promise I'm going to get through the scripture. I promise I'm going to get through it. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him, and they had made an opening and let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, everybody say their faith. Everybody say their faith. As we go to three services, it's not going to be a success because of my faith. It's going to be a success because of, listen to this, I hope the cameras can follow me, because of their faith. It's going to be a success because there's an open chair here and it's because of their faith. As we do this, it's not because of my faith. It's because of our faith. It's because we see paralyzed people in a position that need the power of God, that are willing to step out with four other friends and say, you're coming to church and you're going to meet the presence of the Holy One God Almighty. And we, we believe so much in this, we're making a whole third service. To make sure people have the ability to walk into the power of God. And when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Not you're healed. He said, Son. Oh, we missed it. He didn't say Israelite. He didn't say paralytic. He didn't call him by his condition. He called him by his newfound position. He didn't call him by his condition. He didn't call him paralyzed. He didn't call him pathetic. He didn't call him this uh, worthless piece of of thing that people had stepped over for years. He didn't call him by his position, but he did call him by his newfound position. And Jesus Christ has not been resurrected yet, but he by faith said, I'm calling you son, and I'm declaring, son, your sins are forgiven, because I know what the cross is going to hold in two and a half years from now when I step into it. Ooh, come on, that excites me and that excites me so much that I could, not, I, I could walk out of here happy this morning because I look at this and I realize that before I ever received Jesus, Jesus had received me and he was calling me son before I ever submitted to the Savior. Ooh, come on now. Mm, that'll change my life. So let's get to the message this morning. Son, Oh, Father, in the house this morning, I pray that people would realize if they are a son and a daughter or if they are a slave and simply somebody seeking. Because I believe in churches all over America today, we have slaves and people seeking and people who really haven't stepped into the revelation of son and daughter. God, if there's anybody in the house this morning by your almighty hand, by the loving Heavenly Father that you are. Pull sons and daughters out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Lord, I thank you that you have received them before they ever receive you. Touch your neighbor and say, get saved. Come on, I believe somebody needs to get saved this morning. So in this series that we're doing called Lift, we're great with the process of lift if we are the helper or driver, but what about if we are the hurt? See, a lot of us look at this as like, all right, which friend am I going to invite? Which coworker am I going to invite? Which family member am I going to bring? But what if you're not the one who's giving the lift? What if this morning you're sitting in the house of God and you're the one needing the lift? See, it's easy when we look around and we say, oh, I can help them and I can help them and I can help them. As long as I'm focusing on your weaknesses, I never got to realize mine. As long as I'm focusing on what Richard needs to change and helping him change, I never look at the weakness in my life and realize what I need to change. And the great thing about realizing your weaknesses, it's not that you're trying to fix them on your own. It's because the Bible says when you realize where you're weak, I then now have the power to come in and be strong. He says, where you are weak, Joel, I am strong. So if you want to celebrate anything this morning, this is why Paul says, I glory in my weaknesses because in that place where I know I can't do it, it's going to take all of God to do it. And so I graciously step aside of my weakness to watch his strength come in power. And and if you're hoping I'm preaching the same service I did in first service, I'm not. (laughs) Because I've come to know this, that you guys are different than the first service people. And God's is such an individual God that I'm not going to try and mirror services anymore. I'll use the same passage of Scripture. I'll use the same outline on my notes, hopefully. Right? But if we go off in a different direction, I'm no longer going to confine the Holy Spirit to my notepad. I'm going to let God speak to individuals in the house. Amen? And so if you think, Pastor, you're preaching right to me, it's the Father He is. He's touching right at your heart. Because I'm no longer going to limit the ability of God to the confines of my time frame on my, on my tablet. And let's see what God can do as we move forward. What is the one thing in your life that you need God to touch? What is the one thing in your life you need God to touch? I love it when I get silent because y'all get really uncomfortable. Because you're used to me talking so fast and so much, you just get to bypass what I'm actually asking. And so now today I'm really stopping and asking you to think for a moment. What is the one area in my life that I need God to touch? God to touch? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your lack of maybe marriage. marriage. Maybe it's because maybe you're maybe married your and you don't of have a marriage. Maybe it's because you're married and you don't have a marriage. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's those Maybe world changes that aren't really changing the world the way you want it. Maybe, Maybe. it's those world changes that aren't really changing the world. Maybe the way you're want over to here change. in student ministries and you're like, Joel, none of this relates Maybe to me. You're Maybe you're over here, here in student ministries, being ministries being and you're like, school. Joel, none of this relates to me. Maybe, Maybe it is you you're the, the one being made at school. school. Maybe you are the Maybe one being made fun of. Maybe you are the one who is making fun of somebody and it's your issue. Maybe you're the one because you're so overbearing on everybody else so they don't see your insecurities as well. Maybe we ought to listen to that as an adult too. Maybe we're the blunt one, the agitated one, the loud one, the vocal one, the the one who's going to be everybody else's fixer so we don't got to fix ourselves. What's your mat? What's your mat? What's the one area of your life you want God to touch? We all got one. And it's up to you if you want to recognize it or realize it this morning. So what's the one area of your life that you want God to touch? We as people are by nature extremists. Meaning this, we recognize when things are really, really good and we recognize when things are really, really bad. But the truth of the matter is most of our lives are lived somewhere in the middle. Most of our marriages aren't really, really bad and they're not really, really good. They're just somewhere blah in the middle, right? Right? Most of the raising of our kids, your kids aren't always heathen. It's just those moments that stick out. Your kids, I guarantee you, are not always the Instagram photo models that you put on Instagram about them. Come on, somebody. I guarantee that ain't happening. And quit living your life by everybody else's highlights. Their kids are just always perfect. No, they ain't. They just caught them at that split second when they were. And then they're going to broadcast it to you like, this is my life. No, it ain't. It's an extreme. Come on, somebody. If you live your life by somebody else's Facebook post, you're living in a false reality. Okay? But most of our lives are not super bad, and they're not super good. We live the majority, 90% of our lives somewhere in the middle. Maybe your issue is the middle. Maybe your issue this morning is not because you're in a storm or you're in a great victory. It's because there's just a lot of nothing. My marriage is boring, my job is boring, my kids are annoying, and that makes it boring to be a parent, right? I love them, and I love my spouse, and I, and I really do love what I do, but it's just blah right now. It's just blah right now. Some of us in the moment, we're looking for a storm that doesn't exist. Sailors understand this better than anybody. Sailors understand the storm, they understand the smooth sailing of the victories, but they also understand when everything is blah. And it, for them, it's called the doldrums. Sailors understand the doldrums. What are the doldrums? Um, a doldrum is this. Doldrums are th- those times on, when they're sailing, and it's noted for calm periods when the wind completely disappears altogether, trapping sailing ships for periods of days or even weeks. Some of you have feeling like the wind has gone out of your marriage altogether and you just feel trapped for even days and even months and even weeks and you're just sticking it out because you're too religious to get divorced. Come on, somebody. There's the door if you don't like it. Now understand this, I'm also not advocating a divorce. And with this, I want to encourage you in something. If that is your marriage, it's not good and it's not bad, but it's just blah. And you're praying for a fight when you go home so you actually get some excitement. Y'all, we've done enough counseling in this church over the years to know that fighting is some of the best things y'all do. Come on, somebody. All right. They may want to edit all this before they put it out there. Glad it's live streaming. With that, you're looking forward to the fight because at least you're getting some emotion out of him or her. And it's not blah anymore. Maybe your issue is the blah. The blah with your kids, the blah with your job, the blah with your marriage, the the blahness of life and you just feel like you're doing really good at getting by but you know you're in the doldrums and there's just no wind in your sails and you're hoping for just a breeze but I'm telling you, God does not want to come in the breeze this morning. He wants to come in the strong, mighty, rushing wind to get you sailing again like he did in Acts chapter two and he's got a word for you that if you'll grab a hold of the problem and bring it to the promise, you'll understand the potential of where you're at in life. So in this, understand that if you're feeling trapped and your life is going nowhere, you literally are praying for the wind of God. Your doldrums are not your doomsday. You may be existing, you're really not living. Your doldrums, the dead place you're in, it's not your doomsday. And even if it is your doomsday, there's a resurrection day because Jesus had a doomsday but three days later there was a resurrection day that brought him forth with the power of the Almighty and it split heaven wide open to change the doldrums to the life-giving place of the dream that God had called him to be. If you're in this place, God wants to send you a fresh wind. And what I've witnessed in ministry more than anything, more people give up because of the doldrums than they do the storms. Most people give up because of the boringness of the life rather than the storm that's causing havoc. Because people rally around a trauma. My marriage is in crisis. Good, we got group life for that. Go to Marriage on the Rock and go to the the married couple group that Richard and Michelle are leading and go to this group and go to that group and go to counseling and go to Freedom Ministry. We can rally around a trauma, but what if there's nothing to rally around? Like I, I see the mat and I see the problem. It's called blah, and I don't know how to fix it. And I don't even know what the problem is. It's just blah. Come on, somebody. Listen, I, I, I've had weeks and months like this where everything is just blah, and then you got to come up with some creative sermon on Sunday morning to make everybody think you're doing great. Sometimes pastor's not great, but I do know where to find greatness. I do know where to find him in the process of it. So what's the one thing you want God to touch? When we find that one thing that we want God to touch, God will take us from ignorance to insight. From insight to intentional. From intentional to an inhabitant of his promise. So we're going to break this down real quick over the next 10 minutes. He wants to take us from ignorance to insight. Ignorance is this. Ignorance is recognizing that there's a mat, but because we don't know how to deal with it, we act like it doesn't exist. We act like racism does not exist in Sulphur Springs, and if you think it doesn't exist in Sulphur Springs, you're ignorant. I didn't say you're dumb. I said you're ignorant. I didn't say you're stupid, but we do possess an area of ignorance. I didn't say... That, 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 that you're just not smart or uneducated. I just said we possess an area of ignorance. Ignorance is not saying they don't know. Ignorance is coming to the understanding that I don't know something. I don't have it all together in my marriage. I don't have the issues right. And I'm not going to blame my spouse anymore. I'm going to blame myself and realize that I'm walking in an area of ignorance right now, that my marriage is in crisis and I just really don't know how to fix it. But here's the problem. Most of us, when we're ignorant about the problem and we don't know how to fix it, we act like it doesn't exist. We believe the lie that if we ignore it, it'll go away. The fact is it doesn't go away. It only compounds and gets worse. It may be alleviated moments but it never it never goes away it always comes back exponentially have you guys ever had lower back pain Right? Come on, somebody. If you had lower back pain, hold your hand up real high. Just lift your hand. So we've had a lot of people who've dealt with lower back pain. And you'll have mornings when you wake up, it's like, oh, it feels better. I guess I don't need to go to the chiropractor this week. And it is going away. And I guess I don't need to work on, uh, on, on my abs because that keeps my back in line. And all the stuff that would help our back get better. In fact, when it starts feeling better, we actually start going contrary to what we should do. But the problem never goes away. Listen, if there's a pain in your hand, it's because something's wrong in your hand. Don't ignore it just because you don't know what it is. If there's a pain in your emotional life just because you don't know how to fix it, don't ignore it because you don't know what it is. If there's a pain in your spiritual walk, in your walk with God, and and I'm amazed how we separate all three of these things into, oh, it's either categorized this or this. No, because one overflows into every other area. And so they all compound together. But the problem with ignorance is, is this. It's, it's, it's looking at the problem, and because we don't know how to fix the problem, we act like it doesn't exist. We walk around it. Oh, I don't see a problem. It's a beautiful day. Right? It was like, what? I, I don't see a mat. What, what mat are y'all looking? There ain't no mat here. It's right there all the time. We know it's there. Just because it's not right in front of us means we don't, have a, a, have a vantage point of it so we act like it doesn't exist some of us have walked around it we've stepped over it and some of us have even stepped like what I don't see a mat we're talking about but, but this ground sure is soft man it feels kind of good because some of you feel better when you're stepping on somebody else so you don't have to deal with your own personal problems what's the one thing you want God to fix in your life Ignorance isn't looking at the man on the mat and because we don't know how to fix the problem, act like it doesn't exist. It is not blaming the why it is there either. In our nation today, we have this horrible problem. Well, why is it like this? And we're so busy blaming this group of people or that group of people or this group of people or that group of people for all the whys when all we really gotta know is where to go with the what that's in front of us. And we see now the what, but we're still busy arguing about why the what is there rather than just grabbing hold of the what and bringing it to where it needs to be and bringing the problem before the promise. Some of you are so fixated on focusing on the other partner in your marriage and why it's so bad in your marriage that if you'll forget why you got there and just understand that you are there and focus on what we got to do to get from where we're at to where we need to be, it'll change everything in your marriage. If you're, I don't know why I'm big on marriage this morning But if you're struggling in your marriage Just forgive them right now in your heart Forgive them right now in your heart And say we're, we figured out the what And we're going to the where I'm not concerned about the why anymore I'm not concerned about the why anymore Forgive them and let's move on And see the power of God Manifest in your life Listen you're not the only one with your problem All parents that sit in here on Sunday morning are concerned about, is my kid the only one with ADHD, and is he gonna go up there and be this rowdy kid that I'm gonna get in trouble for later? Listen, I've had the directors come to me, pastor, you need to talk to your kid. So I talked to my kid. You know what I found out? My kid is a kid. Just because he's got the last name of me and I pastor a church doesn't make him not a kid. So you know what? He gets in trouble for playing too much iPad and Xbox just like your kid. He gets in trouble for a bad attitude just like your kid. Oh, they look like angels. (laughs) But you're looking at the back of their head. You're not looking at their frowning faces when we're saying worship, worship, worship. Would you sing? There's a reason one sits on that side of my wife and the other one sits on that side of me come on somebody i ain't the only one you ain't the only one with your marriage problem you're not the only one with your work problem so get this through your heart this morning i'm not alone you're not alone and you don't have to act like you are alone the best Oh, there's five other people with my same debt problem you may not see it because their car looks good and their clothes looks good and, and, but, but they walk in here with the same fear. If anybody found out, I don't even worry about that anymore. Everybody's got a problem. And I'm not the only one with my problem. So that gives me great comfort in realizing that the church is full of people that need each other to give each other a lift to somebody who can bring them to the power to change. So this is what faith is. Faith is not denying that there's a problem. Faith isn't saying, well, this really doesn't exist. Faith is denying the problem a place of influence for my next step of faith. See, the greatest fear you're gonna have in about seven minutes is that I'm gonna have everybody stand and I'm gonna invite everybody to go to a prayer partner and you're already afraid because of the problem and you're letting the problem dictate your faith. Faith says this, I recognize I got a problem and I'm gonna drag that problem right to the feet of Jesus and I'm gonna tuck it under my arm so it can't get away until I get to a prayer partner who can take it from me and help me lay it at the altar because I'm gonna deny this problem a place of influence on my step of faith to go into the presence of God i know your marriage may be bad but don't let a bad marriage deny your step of faith to come into the presence of the one who can fix it because of the promise that he's given you over your problem don't let your problem influence your faith grab faith will grab hold of the problem and take it before the promise of god that is the insight you need to begin to have. So we're moving from ignorance to insight. Insight is the power to grab hold of the problem and submit it to the promise. Once we recognize our ignorance, the I don't know, only then will we take authority over the problem. It wasn't until their friends said, I don't know how to fix my man on the mat, but I do know what I can do. I got insight because there's four corners on the mat. There's four of us, if we each grab a corner, we can bring our problem before the promise of God. It's once they recognized that their friend couldn't get there, they then had the authority to take him there. They went from ignorance to insight, from insight to being intentional. And they said this. It says when they got there, they removed the roof from above him. They encountered barriers all along the way. From the where, wherever your chair is to the altar, you're going to encounter a barrier. You're going to encounter the barrier of fear. You're gonna encounter the barrier of the couple here and the couple here and you're gonna to have to figure out how to get out around them. You're gonna encounter the barrier of, well, we really don't have any trouble or if we do have trouble, what is everybody gonna think when we walk out and come to the promise? You're gonna have barriers all along the way. Listen, they had to remove the barrier between the problem and the promise. It was called a roof. What is your roof? What is your barrier that is standing between you and the promise of God, Jesus Christ, that is here for you? And it's more than just going, bringing your problem to the promise. It literally means bringing your problem to the feet of Jesus Christ himself, who is seated in the heavenly places far above every rule and principality and authority and anything that can bring your problem back to you. He's seated there, and we're bringing our problem to that place where the enemy has no authority over the problem that he brought you in the first place. So with this, there were barriers all along the way. Listen to these barriers. Barriers saw, how do I get him there? Hope found a mat to carry him on. The barrier was, how do I get my problem friend to the promise? Hope found a mat. See, if you ever deny hope in your life, you're denying the insight that God's giving you to get your problem to the promise. There's got to be a hope of he, he can fix it if I just get there. If you can maintain that hope, the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. So what you hope for tangibly translates into a faith that you can grab hold of to bring your problem to the promise things hope for so the barrier saw the man on the mat hope found a mat to get him there barrier saw the crowd but hope found the stairs the barrier saw the roof so hope started digging the barrier saw the distance between the problem and the promise but listen to this hope saw a savior and a savior saw forgiveness and said take up your mat and walk don't give up on hope as long as there's a hope for your marriage you got, you got everything you need as long as there's a hope for the United States of America, we got everything we need. As long as there's a hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you got everything you need to get born again. As long as there's a hope in your life, it changes everything. When we will not be ignorant of the problem, we will get insight on the barrier between us. Then we can intentionally work on removing the barrier to get the promise, that it, to get the problem to the promise that is before us. And when we get to the promise that's before us, we become inhabitants of the price that was paid for us. We become inhabitants, An inhabitant is this, a person who takes possession of and occupies. A person who takes possession of and occupies. The big disconnect is this, and actually it's an impossibility. You cannot inhabit the promise when you fail to recognize you are the one on the mat. I cannot inhabit the promises as long as I fail to recognize I'm the one on the mat. i got to recognize my position. i got to recognize the place that I'm in. Listen to this. There were hundreds of people at the house because there was a promise in the home. There were four men that knew their only hope was to go to a house because there was a promise in the home. The man on the mat knew his only hope was to let some of his friends bring him to a house because there was a promise standing in the home. Our only hope today is to recognize that the time has come that we bring people to the house of God. There's a promise in the house of becoming a home, a place of refuge where people that you know who need a touch can bring their problem straight to the promise and the promise can do what no human being can do. He can transform a life. as I close this message now imagine this just imagine with me for a moment you walk by people every day laying on a mat all oh, sure they may drive to work they may sit in the cubicle next to you you may run into them at the grocery store from time to time you may think everything is good but literally they're here and they're sitting here praying oh God if there would just be somebody in my life that could bring me before the promise and you walk by them every day and say hey how you doing buddy and the whole time they're crying out would you pick up my mat would you grab my mat would you As you walk by and fade in the distance, they sit another day praying, God, would you just send somebody? Would you send somebody to rescue us and help us in this marriage? Would you send somebody that I'm sitting next to in church? God, I'm sitting here hurting and I'm dying and I'm so paralyzed I can't make it to the front by myself. Would you send somebody to carry my mat? Would you send somebody to just grab a cord? I don't need four people. Just one person who's strong enough to drag it. Oh, God, that you would send somebody. The scary thing about that is two things. Some of you may be that somebody who needs somebody to drag them. Somebody to carry them. And if that's you, you you, don't wait. When they're walking by saying hi, you grab their hand and say, walk with me to the front. I need somebody who's just gonna have faith to walk with me because I can't go alone, I'm too scared. I'm first time here. I don't understand what's going on, but I need Jesus. The other part is, as you walk by and you said hi and you gave hugs and high fives and handshakes and met people at the cafe and your kids are up there having an amazing time, you're standing here and you're looking around and say, wow, everybody looks good and you walk on by the very person who you're supposed to nudge and say, you wanna go pray? You want to go pray? Who's in your life this morning that you can be a lift to? Because the answer to somebody else's problem is probably as close as the person seated right next to them or across the aisle from them. And as you begin to look around this morning, everybody just begin to look around. Somebody's hurting. Somebody's in pain. Somebody needs to get born again. Somebody needs a lift. As I'm asking everybody to stand this morning. With full knowledge of you know the people around you and seeing the people around you. If you need a lift and you are hurting and you can't come to a prayer partner by yourself. You be bold enough to grab the hand of the person next to you and say walk with me. Walk with me. And if you're that person there, you walk with them. And you may be thinking, but I'm the one hurting. Good, maybe he brought you two together so you both go to a prayer partner so both of your needs get met at once. Because maybe your problem is as close as being the answer to somebody else. Because the ultimate answer of all that we need is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came in power, who died humiliated forgave us of all of our sins was raised again in newness of life so that you can have a new life to live he ascended before the Father he stood at his feet and said God it's done the price is paid for every person in here for every one of you looking at me right now for every person in here to be called son and daughter i don't care if you have a mat jesus was looking at the man on the mat and i don't think he said it rudely i think he said it with a smile he said son 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 your sins are forgiven forevermore take up your mat and go home go to a place you couldn't have been before get ready to move it's your time to come home sons and daughters Get ready to move in three, two, one. Get born again. Have a prayer, partner. Come and take communion. Let's worship him today. It's amazing grace.